and welcome to the Lazy Sunday Book Club. I'm Annie and I'm joined by Fee. Hi. And Sophie. Hi. Um, in this episode, I'm talking about our book of the month. What did I do? Why are you laughing at me? I, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at me. <laughs> I'm laughing at how many times we've had to record this intro. Keep all of this in. Just, just like, this I think is a, is a real sort of how the sausage gets made moment. In this episode, we are talking about our book of the month, or should I say one of our books of the month. Um, this month we're doing a two-for-one set of translated novellas, um, the theme of the month for our book club being translations, because, you know, travel, translation, summer, it seemed kind of appropriate. Um, and we're starting with Sweet Bean Paste, uh, written by Durian Sakagawa in Japanese and translated into English by Alison Watts. Uh, this is the story of Sentaro, a doriaki maker who hires an old woman named, um, apologies in advance for all of my butchering of the Japanese language, uh, Tokuye to make the sweet bait, to make the sweet bean paste for him and how he learns from their friendship as it develops. Um, this book is actually your pick, Fee. Do you want to talk about sort of what drew you to it? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I saw a TikTok. <laughs> Um, this is how many of my book recommendations start, I think. I saw a TikTok of a girl. I can't remember her her name or her handle. I'm so sorry. Um, but she read she showed the book in sweet bean paste and she showed herself reading at the beginning and then she showed herself at the end crying. And I thought, I need to read this book. That's interesting to me because so I didn't really have, like, I feel like that gives you a very different set of expectations from what the cover gives you. Um, the cover is beautiful. Um, and it's this picture of the three of them sort of standing in the snow with some cherry trees behind them. And it looks happy and hopeful and, you know, it, I feel like, but it is a much sadder book. Perhaps. I don't, I don't I just want to say like I didn't just buy it because somebody was crying reading the book. Like I did read the <laughs> plot first. Okay. I'm not, you know, what I'm not like I bought it blind, you know. Give cut me some slack, guys. I wasn't suggesting that. I was like, it's really interesting that you went in knowing that it was sad because I didn't. Uh you know Yeah, that is actually quite interesting. And I didn't remember. Like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't anticipate it being sad. Yeah, Although I, I wouldn't. I'm surprised. Oh, actually, I guess I'm not surprised that it made someone cry. I didn't think it was that sad. Before the coffee gets yeah. cold. What do you mean you didn't think it was that sad? What but like, like it's sad, you? but like, no, but like, you know what? It's like it's not like devious. Like it's sad, but it's not. It's not like it's gonna emotionally ruin you for life you know what i mean like to differ i am I'm ruined <laughs> i'm absolutely ruined it, it's a very specific kind of sad i always think of this this is probably so um uh uh pretentious but i always think of there's this specific kind of like art sad you know yeah. And it makes me think of that moment in Doctor Who where she's like, oh, I like coming here. It makes me sad. What's so good about sad? And she goes, it's happy for deep people. <laughs> yeah. And this book is happy for deep people sad. You know, yeah, it's a you kind see, of hopeful, inspiring, informative sad rather than like a, you know. Like, I don't think the book is depressing. No, the book's not, not like, depressing, it's but it's sad. It's, it's sad. Like, obviously, you know, sad things happen. And it, it's sad. But it's like, it generally, overall, it's a relatively warm book. Well, I wouldn't call it sad necessarily. I'd just call it emotional. It's an emotional book. I'd say yeah. it has a hopeful ending. It's not a happy exactly. ending. It's a hopeful ending. That's why I'd, I, I'm like, I don't, but I don't think it's... it's sad. Devastating kind of emotionally ruining kind of Wait, sad. Can can I ask? Do you guys usually cry in book, like when reading books? No. Have you ever? Yes, but I didn't. I I cry at a lot of things. I didn't cry at this. I'm not sure I've ever cried at a book. I I, I don't think. Okay, fair enough, Sophie. Annie, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, because it 
never stopped being exactly. hopeful. Yeah, I, I no, 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 but, but I was, I, I never really never. Yeah, Did you I cry? Cried. And this was only the second book ever I've read that's made me teary. Ooh. Okay. If you really want to cry at a book, and this is not just for Fee, this is for everyone. Um, <laughs> the Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Albion. Oh, see, that sounds sad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That. It, no, it's hopeful. I think it's hopeful, but I have also never cried so hard at a book. Libby really? thought someone was dying. Yeah. <laughs> I had that when I, so when I was in year seven, so about 11, I think, uh-huh. Um, I read Chinese Cinderella. Do you remember that book, Sophie? Yeah, I do I remember also that, read book. that book in year Did seven. You remember- that book is... Yeah, I think I read it around that time. It, oh, do you Jesus, know what got to me? <laughs> and, and I was like really upset. My mum was so confused. And what got to you? It, it was the duckling scene with her, with the dog. I don't remember that. What? <gasps> oh, what it, got to me? I don't was, remember this duck. It stayed with me for life. What got to me life. was the brothers playing the apple juice prank on her. I've oh, I don't remember that. that. Oh my god, her brothers triggered into drinking pee by telling her that they've bought, made her a nice glass of apple juice. Oh, my that and the grandmother talking about foot wrapping. And the, oh yeah, binding. Yeah, the foot wrapping stayed with me. Yeah, so that's the thing that I saw. And mm. um, oh, the girl in the year above her at senior school who bullied her and whose mum was always buying things for her. Oh yeah. Oh. Anyway, okay. So, as... do you not cry at the Fault in Our Stars? No, not the book. Obviously, you... I cried at that. You book. remember, I, I absolutely cried in the film. Yeah, you... the the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I cried at the film, not as much as you did, but I cried at the film. But the it book, looked like I, I needed cried. a paramedic. <laughs> I um, I remember reading that book. So I'd asked for it for Christmas, but it came out on like the twelfth of January or something. Mm. Um, so my parents had pre-ordered it for me and then it, when it arrived it was like a late Christmas present and it was a school night and I remember it was a school night because I would have been in like year 9 no it must have been year 10 um, and I was supposed to be asleep it was like 11 o'clock at night but I'd stayed up and read this book Ooh, it might have been midnight and my mum for some reason was getting home late so I was crying and reading this book and I had the door open. My dad had just picked my mum up from the station. They walked through the door and I ran downstairs and I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be awake. You can be mad about that in 10 minutes, but can you give me a hug first? <laughs> I don't feel like we can get mad at people for reading past their bedtime because parents will tell us to read. And then, like, but also they'll tell us to go to sleep. So it's like, well, which one do you want? Oh, my God, no. That was, like, the primary infraction of my childhood, reading past my bedtime. <laughs> yeah, I think the only time I, like, one of the only times I ever got in trouble at school was, for, like, reading, before, like, right at the start of a class. And the teacher just confiscated my book. Oh. And it wasn't even mine. Oh Someone gosh. had lent it to me. Ooh. And I was like, mate, this is a school. That's Why a are you punishing book. me for reading? Right up until this moment that a class starts. Like, what is wrong with you? Uh, no, I... So I still don't sleep very well. And I think it's because, as a kid, I would, like, sneakily turn on my bedside lamp. And I knew how to angle it so that you couldn't see the light under the door. But I could read. <laughs> and then I would stay up reading all night. Like... Oh. And see, I never did that, but as a kid... I could only fall asleep if I was listening to audiobooks. So I, and now I'm back in that stage where if I need something to help me fall asleep at night, which I I do basically every night, I listen to audiobooks or I listen to a sleep podcast. So I'm like almost at the end of Pride and Prejudice. I've missed large chunks of it because I've fallen Mm. asleep, but like, so I'm kind of reading at night, but like not really. (laughs) I read my favorite I, I like listen to the audiobooks of my favorite bits of specific books. The the like the most common of which is the scene where um Rochester asks Jane to marry him. 
And like, I know that scene word for word because oh my God. like whenever I can't sleep, I just listen to that. Anyway, this is not book club. Back to the, back to the, <laughs> back book. To the book. The reason the listeners are here. <laughs> um, well, you don't know. Maybe they like our sparkling personalities. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I cried. I did know going in that it was going to be I didn't know I didn't know if it was sad or emotional I'll be honest I didn't know why she was crying she just said she was crying and she asked someone to hold her that's all I knew and um but I also chose it because I I'd read I've read um before the coffee gets cold and it when I read the blurb of this book, it really reminded me of that kind of warm story telling, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So I was really intrigued to see how, and that's also translated from Japanese. So I wanted also to see, I guess, personally, how, if there were any similarities language wise um Mm-mm. with the with the storytelling um yeah so anyway that was i mean yes tiktok influenced me a lot because i'm human and their marketing is very good <laughs> I, I i i think you're allowed to be influenced by tiktok's book marketing they have some good recommendations they have some shockingly bad ones but they have some good ones <laughs> <sighs> yeah you know it's pick and mix. Yeah. And this was great. I really love this. Um, so yeah, I suppose that answers what you thought going into the book. I don't know about you, Soph. I didn't really have much by way of expectations. Yeah, I didn't really have any expectations going in. I didn't really know what to expect other than the that he would build a relationship with this elderly woman. Because even like Wakana is not mentioned on the blurb, but she's obviously on the cover. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. oh, and there's also some schoolgirl involved in this somehow, but because she's she's on the front cover, but she's not mentioned on the blurb at all. So I was kind of like, yeah, I felt the same way about that. I didn't know what kind of part she was going. This girl on the front cover was going to play. Yeah, but the vibe I got from the cover was hopeful. Yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, because it's a hopeful book, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. really surprised me how long it took for it to feel hopeful. I don't know about you. It took me a while. It was a very quick read, but it took me a while to get into it because I think you're very much inside uh, Santaro's sort of mm-hmm. perspective. He's not necessarily mm-hmm. the narrator, but you're inside his, his perspective. And that starts out as a really kind of um, grey place. Yeah. Um. So that was definitely my first impression, yeah. you know. So what did we think of him? Of uh, Saran. I'm so sorry about me and these names. Uh, Centaro. I thought Centaro was. I think he was. He reminded me of kind of one of those guys you or, or old men that you would see um in the pub or something and and kind of drinking has become their hobby it's their it's the Mm. thing that takes them out of their essential life um and I felt that Mm -hmm. it that was really Santara and and we didn't get a lot of his backstory entering the story entering uh yeah the novel um he I yeah I agree with you Annie I think he was quite depressing at the beginning but I think that was purposeful because oh yeah definitely I mean yeah he seems to have depression he's definitely suicidal yeah points (laughs) yeah um and I think Tokue entering as well at such a uh an early point of the book I think that is their first that is the first opening of the book like within the first yeah. page, we see this interaction between um, Sentara and Takue. Um, and 
but I, I liked the slow pace of her influence on him because I thought that was so realistic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, so I'm going to sort of go character by character. But before I do that, so on the book reviewing Rob site, Storygraph, um, one mm. of the things it asks you when you're reviewing a book is, is this book mainly plot driven or character driven? And this book was one of the first books where I was like, oh, I don't know. You know what? I, I have no idea. I'd probably lean towards character. Yeah. But, the, uh, but there is kind of plot. But There is plot, well, especially towards the end. Ha- have you guys read ja- Japanese translated works? No, never. Not uh, in book form. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I don't think so. Obviously, I've read a lot of manga so the um, things that i have read have been very different from this they were sort of you know um things that i did for my degree in modern world literature yeah. so probably sort of like you know 20th century japanese novels kind of thing mm-hmm. a couple of those we've well, read uh ishiguro Ishi- yes Guru? yeah but are, are those written yeah. in english yeah. yeah yeah they are um but uh essentially uh, have you read Murakami? No, I no, I've never actually. read Murakami. I see him everywhere. Uh, I always think I, I should read that. It is. It, it's. I mean, he a great writer, but really, it, not tricky to get into. But you know, like it, it can. I think sometimes his work can be like Marmite for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. I find when I read Japanese novels, they are very much about the complexity of a human character Mm. but it doesn't mean that they don't think about the plot of the story either but it's it's there is this intense developed character creation i find with japanese yeah uh, there's a there's an internality to it you know it's sort of like um yeah yeah. every character is like a duck in the you don't see a lot on the surface, but then there's a huge amount going on underneath. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, the book is very much, it feels very focused less on telling kind of a, a grand story, but just sort of how these characters live their lives, how they're affected by the society that they live in and how they influence each other. Mm. It's very much interested yeah. in the interpersonal and the kind of a relationship that we have with other people and you feel like you're seeing just a very very I think it does a really good job of kind of making you feel like you're getting a little glimpse into people's lives yeah like that yeah this is just a tiny sliver of of so much that's kind of going on in the world I think it I I, I kind of and I think the setting actually kind of helped with that like the idea that this was just like a small shop yeah I mm. It's very um, um, observational, you know? Yeah. Yeah, do you know what? I think that is a great way of describing a lot of Japanese writing. It is very observational. Yeah. It also, so, I don't know quite how to say this, but it really reminded me of a lot of um, sort of um, 1930s modernism. Um think of like Hemingway or Mm -hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald where it's kind of like it and Gatsby is an exception rather than a rule where it's sort of a person in decline being observed by the writer and Mm -hmm. you're sort of getting their internality through like observations of minute details yeah but I think this book was interested in humanity in a way that sometimes like Hemingway and Fitzgerald and the like are only interested in sort of watching it deteriorate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. It that something about it was very sort of modernist to me. It was really interested in sitting with people and observing them and observing certainly observing their pain, but it was also completely different to that kind of literature at the same time. Mm. I yeah. felt like it was, 
I felt like this is what you would get if a philosopher wrote a novel. Yeah, it did feel kind of um. Oh, have you guys ever read any Paulo Co- 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 Colo? No. No. Um, oh, um. Oh, uh, yes. The, the alchemist. Uh, the alchemist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, wrote, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Um. Has the same kind of philosophical quality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Different in almost every respect, but that same kind of like. Um, has something philosophical to say. Yeah. Um. What are they called when they, there's a moral at the end of the story? Fable? No. Fable. Yeah, yeah. A, an allegory. It's not an allegory, but if you're going an allegory, I'd see what you meant. It, it's it's like um, you know, like um, the boy cries wolf. You know, there's a greater meaning behind the story than the story itself and the characters within it. I think that is a fable. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, fable. The point of fables is just to teach morals, yeah. right? Yeah. I think I, I, I think it's a more like complex way of of a fable. Yeah, it would feel sort of belittling to call it a fable, but I know exactly. Okay, what you good. Mean. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to figure out what exactly um... what I mean as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I know exactly what you mean. Also, at least one of us does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and I think Santaro, he's sort of the main character and he's definitely, uh, he's the eyes through which you see the action of the novel. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then, like you say, very quickly, um, we get introduced to um, Toki? Tokuye. Tokuye. She sort of comes up to him, she approaches him and asks if she can work in this um the haru shop mm. um what did you think of her when you first what was your first impression and what did you think of her throughout the novel um i first thought of her as i don't, i don't know i think she was very mysterious there were a lot of questions behind yeah. this mm-hmm. character and but but ultimately you felt that she had some, there was some purpose behind her interacting with Centaro, uh, but like something she was aware of and not necessarily Centaro was aware of. I think at the start, it's quite hard to, because it does feel like, because of when Centaro interacts with her, sometimes it feels like maybe she doesn't fully understand everything that he's saying to her, or it seems like, um, it feels like she's gone into the situation again, like we were saying, with some sort of ulterior motive. But you never feel she doesn't feel like a sinister. No, never, it just kind yeah. of puts you in a slightly strange position because you know that she has there's something that she wants, but mm. it's very hard because mm. we have so little information about her to even try and figure out what it is that she's. Like that she's trying to get out of the situation yeah I feel like you feel as the reader you're missing information that the character Mm. has and knows and you're just like waiting Mm. for the for it to be revealed to you but you know what you know there's something there yeah so I don't know about you guys something about the way that she was introduced made me think that there was an element of magical realism to this book oh really it wouldn't you surprise know, me if there a kind was, of... but I didn't expect that, but I can kind of see it. So, well, not magical realism, but, like, that she was going to be in some way oh. mythical or something, because, you know, old lady um, seems kind of mysterious, um, can make, you know, the best tasting sweets this guy has ever tasted and is going to, you know, impart mm. wisdom to him. Like, that to me felt sort of fairy tale, and especially as she seemed more and more mysterious and all of that stuff about you know she was listening to the beans she was talking to the beans she yeah she wanted to respect the beans there was something sort of i think it would have been a it would certainly wouldn't have been a it would have been a very different kind of story if it happened like that but like 
it took me a while to work out that that wasn't what was going on. I never kind of thought that going in, but the, yeah, like I think I think the one thing, like aspect that that is that whole like when she's talking, she says she's listening to the beans and that they're talking to her, and that that is the one element of kind of that did. Feel, I was like, is there some kind of underlying? like something going on here is this just like <laughs> this jacket and, and the giant beanstalk <laughs> well not even that just like <laughs> well something about the narrative of struggling sm- struggling small business old lady with magic skills yeah you know elves and the shoemaker <laughs> pinocchio yeah I, I thought it was more, um, more just kind of gonna be a, a sense of like understanding <laughs> that there's more to react which I, I guess it kind of is but just in a less literal way of like understanding that there's more to reality than what there is and i guess in the end that is still the le- that's the lesson she is kind of trying to teach him i think but just she just actually can't hear anything yeah i find that quite interesting because i think when i she started bringing up listening to the beans i took that very poetically rather than almost thinking a literal sense of magical realism yeah not through magic through through you know real life i think there's a slight chance that i just expected something completely different from this book than like i think i expected something a lot simpler like you you think of a narrative of you know disillusioned man and old woman comes into his life like that's a story that i think has been told before old person teaches young person about the meaning of life Mm. (laughs) But I think that th- this was a lot more, um, I don't know if realistic's the right word, but like he, uh, Sentaro doesn't know what to do with her. He doesn't immediately warm to her. They don't become friends at first. Mm. He doesn't quite know how to fight for her when um, the shop owner demands she lose her job. I think there was a lot more kind of real world. It felt human. Yeah, there was a lot more sort of humanity in the realism sense. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. it definitely, it did feel like this, ultimately, because because of Tokoe's sort of backstory, which I don't know if we want to go into now. Um, yeah, I was just about to get there. So basically, the, the sort of the thing that's most kind of, um, not suspicious, but I think they always describe it as unsettling about Tokoe is that she has these like very visible scars on her hands. Mm-hmm. Um and the kind of reaction of Sentaro and then also the manager is that she can't be working in the shop, she can't be seen, people aren't going to want to buy things off this woman with these very scarred hands. And it takes a, a while for it to kind of come up, but we eventually find out that the reason that she has these scars is because she had leprosy as a child um, and that she was essentially, she lived basically her whole life in like a sanatorium. And so a lot of the book ends up kind of being about human prejudice and how she is cured she is not infectious but she is still very much marginalized by society and she lost sort of her whole life um because she was kept locked away from people so it's very much kind of about how we treat each other as humans and how we form connection because part of what she was robbed of was the ability to meet anybody Mm. up until very recently outside of her sanatorium that didn't have leprosy. Do you know what? I kind of just made a little connection in my head there while you were talking, Sophie. And I kind of feel like, you know how Santaro is kind of just, he doesn't really care about the taste of the doriaki or the sweet bean paste necessarily. He just cares about the surface of it and getting his debt paid off. And I think Mm -hmm. if it looks good, he can sell it. And that's kind of where it it is and I think that's Tokie I think because she's experienced such prejudice from the surface she looks at things deeper and in more depth and like I just feel like that little connection of her being really Mm -hmm. involved in taste rather than in look and I think Mm. that come that is almost a reflection of how she would want to be treated by how she treats her confectionery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was really surprised. Not surprised. Like, I found it sort of shocking. And the more 
you find out about her and how she was treated and what she's been through, the more sort of shocking it becomes. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. I didn't do any research on what if this is the case in Japan. I don't know if you got... I am currently on Wikipedia, the podcaster's only source of information. <laughs> um kind of a <laughs> maybe badly I I did kind of assume that this was real estate but I didn't really look into it because I assumed I was like uh, otherwise I, I don't fully kind of understand what the point of the book <laughs> would no, be no no it, it, it does seem like it was I think it was... it's hard to imagine of such a place especially in this time but especially somewhere that's just very isolated and I think because we all went through a pandemic we all have now a little taste of this kind of isolation Apparently, there are still 2,600 ex-patients in 13 wow. National Hansen's Disease Sanatoriums, mm. uh, with the mean age of about 80. So yeah, no, I think it is a, a very realistic... What I did sort of read is, I think there's a note at the end about the research that the author Yes, did. yeah. The book is not really about leprosy so much as the stigmatism that people who have leprosy or have had leprosy yeah. experience... Mm. And I think that is something that I, I just, I didn't twig on. I didn't pick up and I didn't know until like she starts talking about the experience of people with leprosy. Although I will say, I suppose, I, I assume that it wouldn't be that different for a Japanese person to read the book because the characters, apart from um, her, obviously, have no idea that this is, this had happened. I thought some people did clock it because then people stopped coming to the restaurant because they thought, oh no, did someone figure it out? And that's how it got out. I can't remember now. Uh, yeah, I think it was a, it was spread by somebody else. And I think it's the older yeah. generations that know about it rather than yeah. say Wakana because she's much younger. She's a high school student and they were very happy mm. to interact with Tokyo. Not in, and, and she asked about Tokyo's hand. But, but it was just out of sheer interest mm. rather than fear. Yeah. Uh, um, when it came to her storyline, I didn't... I thought her, she was kind of around in connection with some way for her husband. And I, would, I assumed, okay, she's lost her husband. Maybe she, like there's some connection between him and Doriaki. And she wants to like do that. Mm. Um. And and there was to like a a degree of that, but I actually mm. really enjoyed that it was about her, and that she wanted to do this for herself. Mm -hmm. I oh. think that I really added to the kind of this the kind of person she is, because she's so optimistic, and almost has this attitude of kind of living living the life she wants to live but but with also with care for others and I, yeah I, I think optimism is a good word and I think it's a it's a it's a kind of hard one optimism you know what I mean yeah do you know do you know what really got me that um was when she talked about um when her mother had made her that blouse mm. And oh she, yeah, that was really And they sad. took it away from her. Yeah. I really, really got I, I got upset by that. I didn't cry at that point yet. But I did get upset by that. And I think it was one of those touching details mm. which really connected you to her and, and oh well, it, it I mean it did for me. It really made me I I wanted to give her a blouse. <laughs> Like, I just wanted to make her a blouse and give it to her. I, I found, I don't know, I, I found the description of her being taken away from her family um, and all of the stuff about her family, the saddest part of the book. Like, that was, to me, the bit that was the most distressing. Because I yeah. think it was, yeah. so, um, you know, huge spoiler alert, she does die at the end of the book. Um, and I think it is, <laughs> it's sad, but there's a sense in which there's a kind of hopefulness to it. I don't know. It's quite... Did you think she would die? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because she yeah. was ill, like, recurringly unwell from yeah. quite early on in the winter, and I was like, oh, okay. 
I think. I think she might pass away by the end. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. if you're old at the beginning of a book, you don't have a great prognosis, you know? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, is why I think, like, like Annie was saying, I didn't find the ending that... Like, obviously, the fact that she died was sad, but, like, it felt natural and like she'd been able to do some of the things that she'd wanted to do like she'd been able to make confectionery for people she'd been able to have kind of something of a familiar relationship mm. with people she'd always wanted children and she never got the opportunity to have that it was really the family stuff and and, and what they'd been through at the sanatorium and that was the kind of thing that I thought that was the sad bit of the book for me but that kind of wasn't the ending so the sad bit kind of comes oh. Well, I think there was this huge sense of loss when they talked about what it was like to be patients at the sanatorium Mm. and and yeah and sort of all the things that they hadn't been able to do and and the way that they hadn't been able to live. Um, But I think it is a very hopeful book in that she never gives up hope and she is constantly sort of, but she's not. I don't think she's you know. Learn from me because I'm sick. I don't think it was one of those books, you know. No, no, it wasn't. It felt to me like she was just living her life, and her actions and her care for people. I think inspired Centara. Yeah, but I think one of the things that really impressed me about this book, I don't know about you guys, that it it, it wasn't cliched and it wasn't sort of overwrought, and it it managed to be hopeful while still talking about really devastating things Mm. and not sort of sugarcoating it. Um, What did you think about Wakana as a character? And obviously she's she's on the cover, so there is an impact she has. She was in it less than I expected. Yeah. Yeah, And especially because she builds a connection with Takua, but we never really see that kind of happen because no. we're with Centaur. Yeah. yeah, and she doesn't really build a connection with him that much. No. But they're kind of like bonded via the Kuwe. They're like mutual friends kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But I think there was something quite I think it kept it interesting because I think if if, if the mm. rest of the book had just stayed between this interaction, especially while uh, Tokue was sick and wasn't in the shop anymore we were given like a this like that there was quite a lot of the book well like a significant chunk of the book where Tokue's voice was really only from what Sintaro had remembered and Mm -hmm. um all her letters and I think Wakana Mm. provided that other aspect of Tokue it built her character without her having to be there well, and also yeah. she was the reason that the sort of the wider public found out about Fukue's disease, right? Yeah. Yeah, she told her so mother. So she told her mom, who then told a lot of people. Yeah. So it felt Wakana was kind yeah. of his way of, it felt like he wanted to touch on, so there was, there was an obvious parallel between Centaro's experience as kind of like being, having been uh, sent to jail for like a pretty minor offense. Um, like he didn't do something terrible he was sort of Mm. using cannabis Mm. i think with intent to supply was his charge um and so obviously he had spent some time kind of in prison and there was definitely it felt like he was trying to say a little bit about kind of like maybe the treatment of people that have previously been uh in, in jail and also then maybe a little bit about there's something going on with O'Connor and her being mm. uh, struggling financially and being the only person in her class. Like, she can't go to school full-time. She has to mm. get mm. a part-time job or something. But it, it's not kind of really delved into. It's just kind of there. And I don't know if that's kind of yeah. what enables her to I, build a connection with One of the things that I really liked about this book is that it didn't sort of... Um, in a less good version of this book... There's a very neat ending in which um, Santaro reunites with his father and opens a, a duaki shop. 
I liked that it didn't yeah. give you that sort of easy, simple narrative. Yeah. It, or it certainly didn't shove it down your throat. It leaves a kind of ambiguity there. It's not interested in giving you something easy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. I like those sorts of endings where there's almost this and life goes on for mm. beyond the book. You know, it's like I think with other stories it's very much a beginning and an ending and it kind of tells you everybody about everybody's kind of wrap-up stories so that you're left with no more questions but I think these sorts of endings keep making you think about the characters even after you've read the book because there's it's almost like they they're still living on mm. and, no, and you're you just mean, yeah. you just don't get to read about yeah. it yeah mm. Yeah, like, it, it's not all kind of neatly resolved. All the issues have been closed off. These people still have lives and, and struggles and, mm. and things that they're going to be dealing with. It's just that this particular chapter of their mm. lives that mm. we've been in that into has, has now ended. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also, there's something sort of, um, it suggests a happy ending, but it doesn't give it to you for free. Um, which I like because there's that sense that it, it sort of leaves you with the impression that it's not perfect, you know, and it's going to take work. And I think as a novel, it there, there's a kind of minimalism to it. Yes. We've touched on, but not really talked that much. Or, or I suppose, you know, we've referenced a lot that this is a Japanese novel. Yeah. What do we think about the fact that it's a translation? Especially since we're sort of thinking about translations this month. Um, I think... Oh, sorry. You go, Sophie. No, I was just going to say, I always find it so... When you've retranslated works, I'm kind of always left thinking, I wonder, I wish I could experience it like both and compare. I guess in part because a Mm. lot of... So obviously I've read a lot of Japanese sort of manga and I've read other translated works, but I also when I studied English, a lot of what I did was in translation because I was doing sort of old English, old Norse. But the kind of point of that is, is that you sort of learn how to read and translate those languages yourselves. Like not fluently, you're still kind of a bit reliant on other texts, but like it does give you space to be able to like make your own decisions on like, actually how do I feel like this word should be translated? How Which interpretation do I agree with? Mm. And I always mm-hmm. kind of wish <laughs> I can have that with every book I read. Like what I I am always left wondering, like what you know, what it is like not translated, and um, if mm. if if things get lost, if there are nuances, or if things you know, what what kind of personal choices will the translator make? Mm. I think it's mm. hard to tell when you don't know the language and when you don't yeah, know. Exactly. Um, especially and especially if you don't mm. know the culture because it's hard to decipher what mm. is um, the author's voice and what is almost the translated voice I, I think mm. I can yeah. find I find some similarities yeah. with other books that I've read um, I think that the easiest book to compare this to is before the coffee gets cold because I get the same gentleness in character description and I get the same effect in care in observation Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that maybe that's down to translation and the and the 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 Mm -hmm. country the authors are from it could be that they are similar writers in the way they like to describe characters and it's hard to tell that difference but I think that also is sometimes the point yeah. of a translation and that's that's what good translations do they make you unable to really decipher mm. yeah so um I think the term there is a theory in translation studies they talk about the invisibility of the translator um, and that sort of in modern fiction, a lot of what we value in a translation is the idea that we're getting the original source yeah. material or as close to it as possible. But I think mm-hmm. it is really hard to tell, especially if you don't know the language and you don't know the author, 
or the translator sort of as separate entities from each other. Sometimes yeah. I think you read a book yeah. like this and, and it, it just sort of exists as a complete thing. You can't sort of take a stitch on picker to it, you know? No, I think I, when I kind of read this, I, I, I guess the feeling that I have to take is I just kind of have to trust that this is something that the, you know, that the author was happy with and that this is, mm. yeah, um, mm. I am reading as close to that work as I can get. And I just kind of have to, take that as it is <laughs> but I think what, what what's interesting to me is that I think this book as it's presented to you is one where the translator is sort of kept as invisible as possible if that makes sense um I don't know about you guys the copy I have has the author's name on the mm. front but not the translator and there's no yeah. sort of translator's notes or translation paratext or anything like that no um it does seem like a it it's it sort of which I think there's positives and negatives to that, but I think mm. this is definitely sort of foregrounding the author, certainly. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the dream chapter. Do you remember the dream chapter? Oh, where he yeah. the, the tea, the cherry blossom tea. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought he was mm-hmm. gonna go so I can't remember he like goes down this road of like this cherry blossom it's beautifully described and like he meets this girl and he has cherry blossom tea with her and it's like he's describing the taste of it oh that was also another aspect I was going to ask what did you think about the food incorporation of this book because it's heavily revolved around food so I don't know about you guys but I'm not good at tasting unfamiliar foods. Mm. I feel like if I was less like, well, because I have such problem with like some food textures mm. um, that the word paste is just mm-hmm. instantly off-putting to me. But I felt like it didn't make me want to try the stuff that they were eating, but I felt like it should have. You know what I mean? I felt like if I wasn't such like a squeamish food consumer, it would have made me really want to try the food. Mm. Um, no, I really, I really liked it. I, I kind of, I like it when, when books kind of go into depth into, into like, into, into like crafts or like skills or, or things like that. Like, I just kind of enjoy reading about, mm. you know, like, or mm. like if, if it was a book and it told, like, to be really in depth about, I don't know, carving or something, I'd be like, yeah, this is interesting. I like this. I like how it's described. And I thought it was very kind of, quite poetic mm. like in every mm. fantasy novel make a sword. <laughs> yeah um i really loved the description of food i just that found it almost quite calming and meditative in a way mm. but it also provides that space just to really appreciate the things that we just kind of eat I mean obviously we don't eat like salty kombu and and doriaki on a regular basis but even I think those sorts of stories where they hone on something quite intensely just like when we read Rosalind Palmer you know that the how the art of baking was so was so important to the story um that there is like this real it's almost like this different vision of mm-hmm. observing something yeah um and yeah so i thought like the salty doriaki kind of storyline was quite interesting okay um and what did we think about the ending how did we find how the book ended i I, it, do you know what? It's one of those endings that I think is really going to stick with me because I found it such a beautiful ending. I, mm. I mean, almost, you know, so beautiful that I cried. <laughs> I did cry. <laughs> um, I was like, I couldn't go to sleep. Like, I woke up at about, I don't know, 4 a.m. And I just couldn't go back to sleep. So I just ended up reading the end of, like, the last few chapters of the book. I don't know if it was the lack of sleep or... <laughs> Could you see the, the moon fact... out the window? 
Uh, yeah, do you know what? When I was reading this, it was the super moon. <laughs> oh, wow. So it was big and bright and I don't know, it yeah. it got me, it, it connected with, to me on a spiritual level. I did like the ending. I think it's very hard if you don't want to do like a neat wrap up, you know, there's a world in which this book ends with them, with him hiring her to yeah. start the shop together or something like that. And I think if yeah. you don't want to do that wrap up ending, it's quite hard to find a good stopping point. And I really liked the way this book ended. Like I, I thought mm. it was a really beautiful sort of finishing point. I really yeah. liked that the letter was unfinished. Um, yeah. I thought that was quite a nice touch that like it didn't, again, that it didn't get that neat kind of wrap up that it just sort of ended. And yeah, she didn't mm. finish everything that she wanted to finish. Oh. And that last that last paragraph where she says, like, if my husband had not been forcibly sterilized and I could have a, have had a child, that child would be about the same age as you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and like the fact uh, you almost got a you just like almost got a sense of how she saw him in her eyes. And that yeah. she wanted to take care of him like she like he was her son. Mm. Yeah. No, it was a good ending. I thought it it did everything it um it 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 resisted clichés but was still meaningful. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. that like her last letter was just so beautifully mm. written. And the, the I underlined this bit and I just like really loved this. It says um and this is when she's kind of talking to Santara about like making sure he knows that his life is meaningful Mm. um and she and it says the time you suffered behind bars you find you're finding doriaki i believe it all has a purpose all experience adds up to a life lived as only you could i feel sure the day will come when you you can say this is my life you may never become a writer or a master doriaki cook but I do believe there will be a time where you can stand tall as yourself in your own unique way. And I thought that was like, so it felt, that felt like an ending for me. Mm. Almost her letting him go as well, saying like, I believe you can find this and I wanted to help you find this, but I believe you can do it as well, like on your own. Mm Okay. Um, very briefly, uh, we have a unique rating system here at the book. Uh, at, I almost said the books table. Uh, we have a unique rating system here at the Lazy Sunday Book Club. Um, we rate things on how we would recommend you buy them, basically. Um, it's capitalism in its finest. So um, it's a one to five scale. One is don't bother with this book. Two is get it from the library or maybe when it's on sale. Um, three is buy a paperback four is this book is so good it's worth buying in hardback even if it's only out in hardback it's worth getting a copy and five is buy a special Waterstones edition with sprayed edges (laughs) Um, or at least we definitely would if we saw one Um, yeah how are we feeling about this book I think this is a four for me like I'm I'm really struggling. I think for me it's like a four and a half. I think the thing about me is that I so rarely use five that I never <laughs> I'm never sure. Like I think it's four. It's probably yeah. like over no, a four, I don't but I don't a- know if it's a like a knockout. F- like for me, for for me to put something as a five, it needs to like knock me out, and for my first thought to be five. If that makes sense, I I think I'm just weird. I just don't like ever rating something as the highest and the lowest. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I to me it's a four. It's a four and a half. I, I want to give it a four and a half. I wouldn't buy the special edition, but I'd consider it. I, I'd look at the special edition and be like, "You deserve this. Good for you. I'm glad you got yeah. the special edition." Yeah, Fee. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that I would. <laughs> I would, I, it's a it's a flower vibe I really I think I really emotionally connected with this book and it's yeah. uh, honestly 
I I it's one of the few books that I would tell everyone to read and it's one mm. of those books you should read before you, you die <laughs> I mean it is it is I mean it I mean come on no, I think sometimes the difference between like the difference between a three and a four is a matter of quality the difference between a four and a five is a personal thing you know yeah, yeah. and I think um, this for me that I mean I reread the book like oh, I read, wow. I reread scenes of the book afterwards. I that's big for you. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. I, I cried do that with every book I read, but I mean, I I cried. I wanted to reread it. I annotated. Um, but you're gonna need to buy a special edition so that your sort of paperback can be lent out to the people you're gonna lend it to. Yeah, if anybody in Waterstones can get a hold of Durian Sukagawa and make him do a special edition, I will buy it. 100% you've got my sale so if you can make this happen yeah if the folio society is listening <laughs> please <laughs> I'm begging you <laughs> I'll pay whatever you need you want sprayed edges and foiled lettering um can I just say like speaking of I mean so we got our ratings but speaking of special editions have you seen that uh the secret history has come out with a 50 pound special edition no, <laughs> Wait, what happened? Yeah, and people are going mad on TikTok for it. <laughs> I've seen already a few people buy it. <laughs> I'm curious to see what this looks like now. I don't know if it even looks like that special. Oh. It's just a. I think it's huge and it's in hardback. I'll tell you the special edition that I am genuinely really considering buying, even though I already have a copy of the book. What? And that's. You know, the fact that there's, like, I don't know if it's coming out in the UK, but the fact that the Red, White, and Royal Blue has a special edition coming out, oh, I'm yeah. just like, I fucking uh... want that. <laughs> Talk about next week's book. Yeah. Then. Yeah, I don't think we timed this particularly well. But... <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think we, we were, one was supposed to come. Anyway, never mind. Yeah. So but... we were doing two books. Um, maybe I'll just announce. No, maybe yeah, yeah. Anyway. So the second translated work that we're doing um, uh, was my suggestion. I When we picked two books, we really wanted to make sure that they were kind of different works and like from different parts of the world and different authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went for more of a classic pick and that is I picked uh, A Death Foretold by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Like, don't worry. I'm not making you guys read 100 Years of Solitude. This isn't like 400 pages long. It's only 125. Um, And A Death Foretold is about... um, It's Chronicle of A Death Foretold. I've been calling it A Death Foretold in my head for short, but that is technically the full title. Um, It essentially tells the story of a man um, who is murdered... uh, in like a, a a town in Colombia, and it's it's basically about how every everybody knows that this murder is going to take place. Like everybody knows that this man is going to be killed, and no one does anything to stop it. It's it's like a very short novella, just kind of about I guess like well, well you'll see when you read it, like about kind of like violence and and all of that kind of thing um and yeah yeah feels like slightly too dark of a book for me to be like yeah and we're really looking forward to reading it but it does sound interesting yeah we are yeah it's <laughs> what's going yeah. on and that will be next week but it's very mm. short so hopefully you can read along yeah oh one more bit of book news. Have you, Annie, did yes. you see Emily Henry's uh, She She has new a new book coming out. Book. I still haven't read Book Lovers, although I have heard very good things. But Emily Henry has a new book coming out, which I'm very excited about. Oh, and yeah. And this I'm less excited about. It's coming out in hardback. Yeah, I was... I love that her books just come out in paperback. Me too. I'm slightly irritated. But you know why? Because <laughs> you're reading it on the beach or you're reading it by yeah. the pool so it needs to be a paper it's, it's literally a beach read come on come on <laughs> oh anyway so that's that's just my cross to bear mm. um but i will probably buy it in hardback because i love her and i love her books yeah. so yeah yeah okay and with that one last bit of book news i think we're done for the i week. think we are um yeah thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week yeah 
And um, also, if you want to share your thoughts um, or just chat oh, yeah. to us about books, uh, then you can find us on Instagram at the Lazy Sunday Book Pod. And uh, you can also find us on TikTok at the Lazy Sunday Book Club. And yeah, get in contact. Tell yeah. us if you cried. I need to know other people cried with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least that one guy. Yeah, do you know what? <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if that's like, I knew I, I wanted to cry so much that I just forced myself to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think crying I, I, books I, works that way. Yeah, I don't. Think uh, so. Yeah, I'd be surprised if you did that. All right. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Thanks. and we'll speak to you next Bye. week.